Welcome, welcome, welcome to Chromatic Distortion with Corey Caesar. bastards and all you beautiful people that have a father in your life welcome back to chromatic distortion i'm your host that mildly mustached Corey caesar this is episode 30 uh i apologize if i sound a little nasally um your boy's been sick i got hit with that head and chest congestion i went heavy medi uh style on it finally shook it for the most part a couple days ago um it's friday right now like the 24th i think uh may 24th this will be out uh, on Monday, like always, on Memorial Day. So I just want to do a little, a little quick shout out to the families, friends, and communities of all the fallen soldiers. Uh, Chromatic Distortion thanks you for your sacrifice. I really do. Um, I know I harp on the military industrial complex a lot, but um, I respect our soldiers more than anybody in our country. Um, so real quick, just some shameless promo. I did a... Uh, I did an episode, a guest spot on Musically Meditated Podcast hosted by my boy Joe Riley. I believe that'll be out this Monday as well. So if you're listening to this, as soon as you're done, go uh, go check out his podcast. It's a really good Musically Discover uh, Discovery podcast. We did um, a, a relive, revisit on uh, Atmosphere album called God Loves Ugly. So just go ahead and check that out. It's a really good podcast. You know, I've talked about that podcast before. He's been a guest on this show as well. Um, a couple times and uh, speaking of our show we are uh, right now we're about 130 I think as as of this recording um, from that 5,000 download mark and I think we'll hit it probably as, either either right before this episode comes out or right as this episode comes out we will hit that 5,000 download mark so I really do appreciate it. it's crazy um, and the last three months have been just blowing up um, we we, we've now been listened to, last time I checked, in 22 countries and 33 states. Um, have listened to at least one episode of Chromatic Distortion. That's pretty That's pretty pimp. Uh, I really do appreciate all the support. Tell your friends. Share my shit. Uh, and actually, this month, I think we'll be our first. Uh, we were real close in March to hitting that 1,000 download mark for the month. And we'll definitely hit it probably um, this this month. Oh, I take that back. We're 100 and we're 150 from that thousand mark for this month. We're 50. We're like 50 downloads from that 5,000 marks. So we're definitely going to hit it before this episode drops. Uh, so appreciate it. Um, I've been on vacation guys. I've been on vacation for the last all week. So since last Friday was my last day, it's more of a staycation. I didn't do any travel this year. Um, but I've been getting all those fucking on this day memories, man. And it, uh, it's a little depressing. It's a little sad. Cause I, I love traveling. I want I want to pick that back up. Um, I went to Italy in May of 2017 for my first solo trip overseas, and in May of 2018, uh, I went to Tokyo. I went to Japan for 11 days on another solo trip, and I actually snuck in a little trip to Greece uh, 
in between those two trips for Thanksgiving to see my friend Therese. That was a really good trip. Um, I definitely want to pick up more travel next year, and I want to take this podcast on the road and do some episodes over, overseas. I think that'd be really cool. Um, and as of right now, there actually are a ton of hot topics in the news right now that I want to cover. Um, and I wanted to cover a few of them actually on this podcast, but like, like I said, guys, I've been sick and, uh, I figured it'd be best probably just to leave those topics for the next couple episodes. <clears throat> Cause I doubt they're going anywhere. Um, abortion, I'm going to, I'm going to hit really soon. That's probably the next episode. I, I'm not going to guarantee that, but it's probably gonna be the next one or the one after that. Um, I'm pro-choice. I've said that before on this podcast, but I'm not near as extreme as the hard left is. And in retro, uh, uh, in, in the same uh, aspect, the right has gone just as extreme on this topic. Um, so it's kicking off. Um, but I, I believe the right's gone that that extreme because they want to kick it to the Supreme Court so they can challenge Roe versus Way. Um, that's just my that's just my opinion. But I want to hit that topic from both angles um, because I, I sit somewhere in the middle on this issue. Um, I actually used to be pro-life. I'm now definitely more pro, pro-choice. but uh, So I'm definitely in the middle of this issue. So I kind of want to hit it from both angles because there are good points. There are good points on both sides to be made. Um, we need to have legal abortion for rape, incest, and medical reasons. No question. Um, and honestly, I feel... They need to be available just for people who just don't want to have kids because they don't. We don't need a bunch of uh, we don't need a bunch of kids running around with parents that don't want them. Um, but we have to be practical, guys, and we have to live in the reality of what's going on here. And the reality is, over eighty percent of these abortions are simply elective. That's cold hard facts. You can't change those numbers. That that's that means that they're not for rape. They're not for incest. They're not for any medical reason. They're not even for financial or social economic reasons. It's simply elective, right? And so, so you just need a better argument. You need a better argument for these numbers because since I've been born, on average, we've aborted 600,000 to 1 million babies every year. Not, not since I've been born. That's every year. 600,000 to 1 million abortions every year. So there's been over 30 million aborted children in my lifetime. That's a whole generation lost, guys. Um, we can't normalize this as birth control. It just can't be normalized as a form of birth control. Um, and, and just to put out another little quick quick little stat to think about, there will be more African-American babies aborted in New York this year than will be born. Think about that. And that's a real stat, and it's an unacceptable stat. Whatever side of the issue this is on, that's unacceptable. You can't have more, you can't have more babies aborted than born. The fuck kind of society is that? Um, but the real issue is, you guys are using like dumb arguments, dumb arguments that make zero sense for your stance. Stop posting memes. Uh, I love how so many people get their stats and their info from a fucking meme. Right, and most of these memes are just incorrect. They have incorrect information on them. They have incorrect stats. And that's both sides. I'm not knocking anyone on this side. They're both. You guys are both fucking retarded here. Um, and, and I just want to give you one thing to think about real quick while you wait for that episode. Um, for all these women who claim my body, my choice. Trust me, no one agrees with you more than me. But um, because because of my libertarianish uh, uh, views. 
but you need to use that for every argument then, right? How many, how many of you same women saying my body, my choice circumcised your son, his body, his choice now, or is genital mutilation? Okay. Because you like it. Think about that. Did your boy come out and did you cut his, did you cut his skin off his dick? His body, his choice, you mutilated his body, his body, his choice, right? If that's the argument we're using, you got to use it for everything. Or, or do you just not care because he's a male and you hate men right now, right? And, and uh, in the same aspect, all drugs should be legal to ingest too, right? My body, my choice. How about legalized suicide? We can wipe away almost all of the gun deaths in America by eliminating, uh, eliminating suicide. Did you know that? We could actually plummet to almost the bottom of the list in gun deaths by country by just taking away suicide. So if you made it legal, people wouldn't have to shoot themselves. There'd be barely any gun deaths in America. You could stop the gun argument too. But that doesn't fit your narrative, so that's not a cool argument to use, right? Oh, my body, my choice. It's only good when it affects me, right? Um, but I just want to say, if you're using the, if you're using that argument, welcome to the Libertarian Party. Please continue this thought pattern on all your arguments, not just the abortion one, because it's important. Um, we will be covering the escalation and threat of war with Iran soon. That shit's getting fucking nutty. Um, go back and listen to the Why So Serious episode first they'll give you a little background and we're getting like that i told you guys this shit was getting ready to happen and it's happening uh the trade war with china's getting hot we'll hit that <clears throat> and the dems are still going nutty over russia so you still got that story going uh, so lots of hot topics coming your way we'll probably combine a few of those together we'll probably hit um we'll probably hit china russia together maybe we'll do iran and abortion together i don't know we'll see um but today, we are talking about the castration ses- uh, sensation that swept the nation back in 1993 and 1994. I was actually in uh, <clears throat> I was actually in fifth grade, and I remember this story pretty well. The first real big national news story I remember, and this case started the downfall of, in my opinion, real news. And it turned it into this flashy clickbait headlines to make sure you got to cash in on this action. Um, so I did watch the Lorena documentary uh, that's on Amazon Prime this week. Because like I said, I'm on vacation. I've been Peggy Bundy in this shit way. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not going to get like super detailed into all four episodes per se. But I definitely want to touch on the funnier parts of this story as well as uh, a few of the more serious underlying issues that arose because it was important for our country, actually. So if you didn't know, um, like if you just born under a rock, I guess, and never heard about this story in June 1993, um, I was just finishing up fourth grade. Lorena Bobbitt takes a knife and uh, cuts off her husband's dick and then dips, castrates homie. Now, this takes place in you know, Virginia. John claims he thought his wife was about to give him the hand job, guys, uh, while he was sleeping. He's like, oh, she was just playing with my dick. I thought she was just playing with my dick. Uh, his, his friend just happened to be staying there at the time, and that's who took him to the hospital. But homie, according to the story, brushed his teeth before he took him. Like, bro, 
I know your dick is cut off, but I need to have this fresh breath from them nurses, dude. I might, I might want to be getting my dick, uh, my dick wet. So I need to have this fresh breath. Uh, so by this point, he's at the hospital. Wife's missing. So is that penis. The penis is missing also. Uh, both from his body and the scene. Now, no bullshit. They thought homegirl swallowed it. Like, come on. You honestly thought she cut his dick off and then swallowed it? Uh, so first thing in the morning, they sent uh, a crime scene tech over to try to find this dick, right? The severed penis. Um, if she hadn't swallowed it. Because they were going to sew it back on to dude. Um, the only other option, I guess, at this time was to kind of like attach the remaining part to his leg and kind of like keep the uh, the hole open uh, or some shit along those lines so he could like sit down and pee. Now, you've heard me say this a thousand times. If you're my friend, I don't trust any man that pees sitting down. Uh, but in the same breath, I'm not going to deny that I haven't sat to pee. So, you know, you think about that one. Um, apparently, though, there was so much blood uh, in that bed that he had had to sit there for like a hot minute before he asked for help. He just didn't get up with his dick cut. He's like sat there. And they thought this was because he was extremely intoxicated. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was he was in shock. That his dick was just cut off with a kitchen knife. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know how I would react in this situation. Um, but during this search, they did find pamphlets about rape and spousal protection, which we will get a little, uh, get into a little bit more here in a minute. But, uh, during this search, the, uh, Lieutenant radios in and he tells the investigators that, uh, Lorena Bobbitt, you know, she popped up at the, at the station. So she claims she went to her friend and boss, this girl, Jana's home after the attack. So Jana takes her to the police to report sexual abuse against John. No penis talk, though. He was like, cool. You know, I get it. But more importantly, uh, for right this second, uh, where's John's dick? You know, we have doctors standing by. Time's running out. Where's his dick? And she's like, oh, she like acts like all confused and shit. Like, um. But also remember that they thought she had swallowed at this point. So I couldn't have asked this question with a straight face. Like, where, where's John's dick? You know, like, I, I'd be busting out laughing, I believe. Um, but she kind of plays it off. Like, she forgot that she had even castrated her husband. Like, oh, oh, I, I forgot that that was even a thing. I'm here to talk about rape. Uh, she's she's like, just, just look around the apartment. And he's like, uh, already been done, lady. And then she miraculously like starts having these memories flow back, you know, um, and says, oh, oh, that's right. I threw the dick out of a window by the 7-Eleven. So right off the bat to me, uh, this lady's not credible at all, right? Especially when you come in reporting a crime against you that you have no memory, uh, that you have no memory block of, right? She also claims she threw the knife away in a garbage can at her place of work, which was actually located in a completely different county. Uh, she said she went to Jana's right after, right? So my question would be at this point is, did Jana help her ditch that knife? Or did she go and ditch that knife first? Um, and that trip uh, to work does play an important role during the trial, which we will hit back on. Um, so they go retrieve this knife. 
they go and find his dick at the 7-Eleven, bro, in some tall grass. They actually find this little nub. Now, listen to this. This dude, Sergeant Will, uh, Willard Hurry, finds it, but won't go near it or touch it. You want to know why? Because of his religious beliefs. Get the fuck out of here, guy. You got gloves. Pick the dick up. Yeah, God's not going to be like, oh, you touched the dick, man. You can't come to these pearly gates. Uh, look at all, I mean, at the Catholic Church. Let's just just to say the Catholic Church, right? Um, so they had to take this this little, this severed penis uh, into the 7-Eleven and put it on ice. And, and ironically enough, into a hot dog bag of all things, right? Imagine working that counter that night. Hey, man, uh, I got a fresh dick I need to put on ice. Now, they showed this penis in this documentary. Now, let me just tell you. Uh, I'd be a little embarrassed for John. You got a small dick, homie. You got you got a small dick. Uh, so they take it to the hospital, and they actually sew this bad boy back on. And crazy enough, it worked. Full function, dude. Pee, ejaculation, hard-ons. So uh, while this is going on, while they're sewing his dick back on, they're, uh, they're taking Lorena's accusation seriously. And... Uh, she starts getting like a, a rape kit examination, right? She claims he was raping her constantly throughout the marriage. So it's important to talk about uh, what was going on in our country at this time in the late eighties. The uh, violence, uh, the Violence Against Women's Act of nineteen ninety was being introduced, and I believe it was being introduced by Joe Biden, and he had a uh, Republican co-sponsor on this bill, so it was definitely bipartisan. Um, this was to make mandatory and stricter punishment for spousal abuse, uh, which was becoming a really hot topic in um, the late 80s. And also, this bill was going to define what spousal abuse was, right? That it, it needed to cover more things than just like this physical abuse, like the physical punching of, of a woman, right? Um so, and also you had in like 1991, a couple years prior to this, you had the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings about workplace sexual harassment. So this was a center stage hot topic, right? Never happened before. You never had any kind of hearing like this. Um, people, especially women, were getting their voice. It was all about expanding speech and talk when I was growing up, which is why I have such a hard time and why I oppose, uh, I'm so opposed to the shutting down of speech that's happening all across this country. It's in fucking sanity to me. But because um, things get accomplished when we talk, right? Um, so now here we are. In 1993, the story has now divided the genders, just like the abortion. Um, just like a lot, a lot of topics actually these days. Uh, men on one side... Uh, you know, they're saying nothing should excuse this behavior and women openly talking about, you know, he got what he deserved and they wish they had done it. So it's like, here we are, even back 25 years ago, we have a nation ready to convict two people on separate things based on zero evidence, but just on how they feel. Yeah, I feel this way. I should cut his dick off because I feel she's right. I don't know. I have no evidence. I just feel this way. And uh, she she should never cut his dick off. Well, why not? Because I just feel that way. I don't have no evidence. I just feel that way. 
So we were already doing this 25 years ago. Here we are. Um, you know, women was you know women were he's a rapist. Hashtag believe all women. Men, she's an assaulter, an attempted murderer. Hashtag believe all men. And uh, I'm not being hyperbolic here. This was going on back then, but it was about to intensify to a level never seen before. Um, it's being talked about on every daytime talk show. The Sally Jesse Raphaels, the Oprahs, the Jenny Jones types of shows and shit. Um, and there were tons of these shows back then. That's what daytime TV was. Um, it was in every newspaper. And I remember even as a kid, you know, me and my friends, we were laughing about this. We were laughing about this dude, some dude, getting his dick chopped off. That's all we knew. Now, I was too young to grasp, you know, the rape and assault thing and how important this part of the story really was. And to even be more truthful, I didn't even know that that was a part of the case. That's how little it was actually talked about, I guess, like, or brought to my attention back then. Um, I didn't even know that was part of the case until like way later in life. Um, but I also guarantee most American, uh, most of America was the same, right? Only the castration was being talked about um, that most people heard about because this was pre-internet, guys. It didn't it, it didn't take uh, much for shock value. Um, in fact, newspapers at the time wouldn't even say penis. So they wouldn't even print penis. So, you know, you get a story about someone getting their dick cut off. That's that's shock, dude. Right. Um, so that's that's what you're going to want to run with as a news organization. Um, so this was actually, like I just said, the first time penis became acceptable to start using in print, which is crazy because it's 1993 and that's no joke. But, you know, hey, let's regress back to these uh, these extreme, extreme politically correct times. Am I right? You know, to a time where uh, people were oppressed and not given a voice to speak freely. Sounds super logical and progressive, right? Keep up the good fight. Keep up the good fight. Um, so the main headline dividing this story, like I said, is castration. Uh, my point is, while this case was really serious and, and and important undertones, it was hilarious to most people. That's what I'm trying to. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Um, it was so out there comparative to the things you heard about on a daily basis. You had Andrew Dice Clay doing stand-up about it. You had Whoopi Goldberg talking shit about it. Saturday Night Live doing skits. And this is all within like a month. A month of this happening, all these things are popping off. So Lorena, and this kind of irks me, she asked her friend Jaina and her, and, her former bo- and her boss, you know, what to do. So Jaina hires her a lawyer, which is cool good looking out but then she also hires her like an agent manager from hollywood like um you cut off a guy's dick and are claiming spousal uh spousal rape why you weren't about monetizing the situation already you know so that kind of irked me red flag again um just like the memory loss red flag um now this actually ends up hurting her because also at the time it was common and respected practice to not name victims of sexual assault. When she hired this dude, though, they were like, fair game. You know, she's planning on talking to the media. So now her name and John's name start getting fucking blasted out there. Now, remember, again, for you youngins, this is pre-internet. You didn't have access to instant information like you do today. 
So as soon as they got her name, you know, the paparazzi type media craze commences. Everyone wants an interview. Her team picks Vanity Fair for an exclusive because they believed that Vanity Fair didn't want to like spin this story and that it would be um, good to get her version out before this trial. Dude, she shows up in a fucking Mickey Mouse shirt, bro. Mickey Mouse shirt. And the first thing they do is get her in a bathing suit in a pool for a photo shoot. She does like a model spread. It's insane, dude, and completely distasteful for what's going on here, in my opinion, right? I mean, as funny as cutting a dude's dick off is, you also accused him of multiple rapes. And this is what we're doing, Mickey Mouse shirts and fucking pool spreads. Now, the women who wrote this article, Kim Masters, said what she got out of this interview was Lorena didn't come off as that articulate, that you could tell she wasn't in a place to tell her story to the world. I blame her, uh, I blame her friend, I blame that, blame that media dude. You didn't prepare her for that. You, you didn't get her story out. You made her look dumb. Uh, so now, two months after the castration, Lorena's arraigned, and she's charged with malicious wounding. Uh, a detective read from a statement that Lorena made at the hospital that night for this arraignment to charge her. Oh, excuse me. Quote, I was angry already. And I turned my back, and the first thing I saw was the knife. Then I asked him if he was satisfied with what he did. And he was just half asleep or something. He always has orgasm, and he doesn't wait for me to have an orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pulled back his shirt or the sheets. Then I did it. Wow. So what you're really saying is homie was a two-pump chump and wasn't tickling that belly button bro, from the inside. And giving you uh, 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 the orgasm you wanted. He wasn't uh, uh, wrapping your legs around his head and wearing you like a crown. So you took his dick. That's, that's what I get out of that statement. Was the original plan to finish the job yourself? Maybe those detectives weren't that far off when they thought you swallowed it. Now on the same day, they also charged John with marital sexual abuse. Which... He was categorically denying. His arraignment was the following day. While um, this whole thing's moving super quickly. And speaking of moving, John's already walking around two months after losing his baby arm, bro. So props to those surgeons. I, I want to say that. It's impressive. Um, so, so now some facts, though, are starting to come out about this marriage, about their marriage. Turns out John doesn't work. Lorena's the only one supporting the home. The police had been called approximately four times. Three of the times John had called. And the fourth time Lorena's mother was there for Thanksgiving. Lorena called the police. But when the cops got there, the mother tattled on her daughter saying she was the one uh, that was the cause, not John. It's like your own mother, girl. So everything at this point looks like Lorena is the aggressor. But we haven't heard that much from her at all. Um, but it's at this point not looking good. Not looking good for you, girl. Um, so the rape kit performed, it did show that they had sex sometimes that day. But 
no blood or signs of force were evident. And uh, John did have that small dick, though. So, you know, I guess we can look at that both ways. Just saying he wasn't really uh, tearing up them guts in the first place. Let's put it that way. Um, He still claimed, though, he never raped her. Now, the real issue is in order to convict on spousal rape charge, uh, which carried a life sentence. So this is no joke. Like you get, if you, if you get a convicted of this life sentence, life in jail, but you needed to fulfill two conditions under the law at the time. Now one, and the most ridiculous to me is you had to be separated from your spouse at the time of the crime. Like, what does that matter? Like, uh, as long as I rape you before legal, uh, legal separation, it's all good. That's the argument. That's trash. And second, you had to cause permanent or significant physical bodily damage. What a dumbass law. So yeah, uh, we will give you life, but good luck convicting. So this is another, what I like to call for show law. We have tons of them. There are all these laws that are just a, a, a crowd pleaser because, you know, the title sounds good to the base, but they don't actually stop anything or punish anyone, really. Uh, uh, we will need to take uh, more taxes, though, you know, for these studies, um, boards, and implement, implementation of said laws. So thanks. But, you know, they're not going to do nothing for you. It's just a way to take, it's just a way for me to get some clout with my base to say I've done something, gets my base riled up, and I can take more money from you. Boom. That's it. That's all it's for. Um, so like I said, this was the top story at the time, just like abortion is right now. The women's movement was speaking out on this. They took this serious. There's like, this is our chance, man. This is like a national story. You know, we got this rape, uh, these rape spousal uh, allegations this is like right up our, this is perfect. We could use this. Um, and we had like at the time half the States, just like abortion. So it's, it's, there's a nice little parallel here. Um, we had half the States at the time, uh, saying you can't rape your legal wife and the other saying you can right now. Listen, guys, nobody owns anybody, whether you're married or not. And that goes for every interaction in life, right? These women were speaking on an important issue, a very important issue, a message about personal ownership. doesn't matter that I'm legally married. You can't legislate my ownership away, right? It's the most fundamental and important aspect of free people, guys. The belief that you own you. It's a libertarian argument. It's the correct argument. And I know that sounds like it's a no-brainer, but it's actually not. We've already strayed way far from the simple implementation of your personal rights, right? The direction we are heading in is you don't own you. You don't own your labor. You don't own uh, your productivity. You don't own your home. You don't own your car. You don't own your food. You don't own your own country, Throw it all in the pot and distribute it equally to everyone. Asking for equality of outcome instead of equality of opportunity. There is an important distinction between the two. You need to fucking learn them. Okay. Now you don't have the right to take someone else's things, labor or productivity, even if you vote to take it first. Still doesn't make it right. Quit making government your God. They can't make you prosperous or equal to anyone else. They can only steal your wealth and enslave you to their system. 
where you stay, uh, where they stay elite, and you beg for your money to come back to your community by being good and obedient. And that's the facts of life. Now, I'm I, sorry, I got off on that rant. I digress. Um, so, hot women's topic, but this charge was impossible to convict. So, they're like, let's charge him with something else. So they charge him with this lesser crime of malicious sexual assault, which carried a maximum sentence of 20 years. So, a week before John's trial starts, the rape trial, 2020 does this little special. Um, you know, they got to get the, they got to get in on the money here. So John refuses to participate this close to the trial. But Hollywood Lorena, you know, she she's willing to sit down. Uh, his defense thought um, this actually pay, uh, played to their benefit because the jury would be like more interested in John's story, uh, like side of the story, because he had they hadn't heard it yet. Now, I think that's a smart play. Um, just like if you're watching a show and you've been waiting for a particular scene for weeks, like, you know, it's coming and now it's finally here. You're like super attentive. Like, yes, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to listen real hard. So, um, I think smart play, uh, really all we know about John at this point is he's just a former Marine and he met Lorena at this Marine Corps ball. Now it's important to note the dynamic of this relationship, right? So, She's actually a student. She's a, she's on a student visa from Ecuador by way of Venezuela uh, when she met John. She was young, 18, and didn't speak much English. And they married shortly after meeting. Now, they decided to do John's rape trial first simply because that would help in proceeding with um, Lorena's charge, you know, of dick mutilation. And now the media goes insane, right? This becomes... A worldwide story now. They sent reporters from all over the world to cover this. People set up booths selling souvenirs, t-shirts, underwear, food vendors are set up. This is all in front of the courtroom, uh, I'm in the courthouse. So a food vendor set up shop. It's a capitalism fuck fest, dude. People were excited. Real World One had just uh, just dropped, just started. This new reality TV craze was taking off. The city of uh, of Manassas, Virginia, has you know uh, has the Battle of Bull Run in the Civil War and uh, the Dick Chop heard around the world claim to fame. That's what that's what they got now. So Bull Run, Dick mutilation. Uh, uh, we had all these new these new cable channels popping up like E, Comedy Central, USA Network. All these were these like new conduits for getting information to the people outside of like the three or four main news channels. I mean, CNN at the time was the dominant news provider and they started feeling kind of this pressure uh, of all these other like tabloid like channels. People want sensational, not reality. Just like all these arguments, you want the sensational argument because it sounds good. You don't want the reality of the argument. You don't want the reality of the numbers. You don't want the reality of the stats. You just want the sensational part. What sounds good to you? What makes me feel good, right? Um, CNN, they you know, exclusively talked about healthcare, foreign policies, and things of that nature. Um, but this was the era of court TV where trials and these kinds of stories were being broadcasted day and night. People loved it. I mean, who doesn't like crime drama? And these are real-life crime stories. Unfortunately for the craze, though, for this trial, no cameras were allowed in the court 
because it was a sex crime and that was the rule. Um, the reality is um, this rape case is all about who the jury was going to believe though. It's about as close as a he said, she said you could get. And the, definitely when the judge ruled that only five days leading up to the dick removal could actually be discussed. So no past abuse, which is trash in my opinion, um, and, and, and a real disservice to Lorena uh, in the story was allowed. So I think that was a real distur- a disservice to her. Um, I don't know. It was what? What she think? Only oh, talk about five days. That make no fucking sense. Um, but John and Lorena both testify and tell their story um, to the jury of nine women and three men. So it's definitely heavily favored on the women aspect. Now the defense once again uses that statement about her not being satisfied as ba- their basic defense. She talks about how forced sex turned him on, and this was kind of like an escalating thing. But apparently she was kind of all over the place, sometimes playing the victim, sometimes playing the strong woman, so much so she would dress one day in like a simple housewife dress um, with no makeup, and then other days she would show up to court wearing flashy outfits with her uh, hair and makeup all done up. Um, Her handlers sound real great. You know, that friend and that and that Hollywood guy. They sound like they were doing her a really good service. Um, biggest piece of evidence for John was obviously that statement to police. And the medical doctor who examined her that night for rape claimed no outward physical signs of rape. And her mental state, uh, state did not fit that of a victim. The biggest piece of evidence for Lorena's claim was her panties that night, which had been ripped. Unfortunately, though... The former head of FBI forensic analysis testified that he did a visual and microscopic examination and found that there was a discreet scissors cut in the crotch of the panties, and then they were torn. After that, he conducted other tests. He he attempted to duplicate this separation naturally by just tearing it, but was unable to do so. Claimed the only way he was able to duplicate the same results in the lab was by cutting it on the bias with a pair of scissors and then tearing it the rest of the way. Um, that's pretty damning, along with your prior statement about doing it for being pissed because your hubby wasn't getting you off. And then the defense puts more major doubt into her story when he says to the jury, where's the first place she went after she left the apartment, uh, dick and knife in hand? She went directly to where she worked. The nail cuttery. What's the most prevalent instrument there? scissors i mean come on you have to follow the facts even if even if they're not right you have to follow the logic that they're that they're laying out here now i'm not saying he didn't rape her ever or the abuse didn't happen but in this night you just cut off his dick because he didn't please you good enough that's what it's sounding like here um it's not looking good for her in this case so after only a two-day trial i know it's crazy both these trials are actually really short um after a two-day trial and a few hours of deliberation, not guilty. Uh, I don't think personally that the case of rape was ever really taken very taken very seriously at that time, um, and that'll kind of come out more in her trial because she looks really bad at this point. Uh, I think in the media, she seems like she's been lying, that she's vindictive, that she's like this angry, jealous wife. Um, 
And that trial was just basically like a little dress rehearsal for the real game, right? The real game, which was her trial for cutting off his dick. So there's like this uh, this three-month break between the two trials. John goes off to fucking Colorado to a ranch to be like away from the media. His lawyer, handling him correctly, don't want him talking before trial. They understand. This dude's probably a little off. So dude's out on this ranch guys riding bulls and shit six months after getting his dick reattached claims he had a girlfriend he met named Stephanie and had to just make this point to tell us that they had lots of good sex come on that little dick bro repurposed and resold back on you guys had a bunch of good sex so John's starting to get a little antsy you know John's ready to you know put this new dick and fame to work so he goes to this new place, this new restaurant that opened. You might have heard of it. It's called Hooters. And this Hooters in Colorado Springs, right where he was staying, was having like this John Wayne Bobbitt lookalike contest because, you know, how could you lose that shit? You're John Wayne Bobbitt. Um, the media at this point is still going crazy. More Saturday Night Live skits almost every night. The the late show, I think David Letterman called was calling her uh, his girlfriend. He was doing top ten the top 10 jokes almost daily about her. Uh, Robin Williams going hard. Lorena, because of all this like negative publicity, you know, she doesn't want to leave the house. John's out there throwing severed dick at Hooters girls and she's like locked up in the house. So about three weeks before the trial starts, Court TV talks this judge into allowing cameras in for the trial. And it's a media circus. The rape trial was child's play compared to this. And the date is set for December 23rd, which is a problem for Lorena's media guy. Right? He don't like that date. So he goes and he talks to court TV and says, hey, guys, uh, you know, you know, during this time, nobody's going to watch this because it's close to Christmas. People are out shopping, spending time with their families. And to show you how little these people actually care about you, Court TV, a cable station, gets that shit postponed till January 10th when ratings will be higher. Get the fuck out of here. How does that even take place? How is that even legal? So this gives John some more free time. And Howard Stern does like his annual Miss Howard Stern New Year's uh, rotten Eve pageants, basically like a beauty pageant, Howard Stern style. Think about it. And he ended up having John on to like raise money for his dick. Now, funny enough, I actually remember this particular New Year's Eve pageant and I actually tell the story all the time to people. Um, and most people don't believe me. It's kind of cool that it just came up in this. But when I was in fifth grade, shout out to uh, Mundell Mustangs. We were actually the last class to graduate from there. Uh, and they tore it down a few months later from this actual story. Um, but we were having like a school-wide spelling bee in the gymnasium. And we were allowed to bring in like video recorders to tape the spelling bee. Now back then, we had those big cameras. And they used like the full-sized VHS, ta- uh, VHS tape. Now, my best friend Derek has a camera and he also had a cheater box. Now, if you if you grew up back then, everyone had a VCR when, when a show would come out, a movie, you just hit record. You put a blank tape in and you get a VHS disc. You didn't need to buy videos if you had one of these. My friend had that. So uh, 
you know, back then the cheater box was pimp, bro. It gave you all 55 cable channels for free. No more watching scrambled porn and WrestleMania for us. We had uh, uh, Spite, uh, Spice TV. You had uh, the Hustler channel and you had Playboy channel. You had three good porn. Played them dumbass porn movies, but, you know, y- you could see it. Um, and I'll never forget that day because Derek comes up to me and he's like, hey, man, miss your word. Now, if you know me and Derek, this isn't something that we would ever do because we're both like super competitive. You know, we want to win everything. But I was like, all right, fuck it. So I did. I missed my word. He misses his. We sit down and uh, Derek turns a little viewfinder around. It plays whatever's showing on that tape. And my home and homeboy hits play. Dude, my guy had recorded the New Year's Eve special off that pay-per-view. And I remember uh, one scene the most. Um, they're taking like these pageant girls, basically porn stars, somewhere on a bus. One girl decides to like moon somebody out the window. She puts her bare ass on it. Uh, then they like pause it and rewind it and zoom in on that window, bro. The homegirl must have fucking like cut an anxiety fart and dropped a dingleberry because she left a turd nugget on that window. No bullshit. Turd nugget stuck on the window. They threw like a fucking red circle, you know, with like that line over it saying, cut that out. Cut that shit out. Nah. It's one of the funniest things I remember from my childhood. So we sat there uh, and watched that in fifth grade during the spelling bee, bro. Hashtag rebel life. Uh, they had like naked chicks stroking this huge penis meter that would go up as money was raised. And they actually raised $190,000. That's crazy for his dick. Now he went on tour right after this selling t-shirts, t-shirts saying uh, severed parts. Like, wow, bro. Doing radio and TV. Homie thought he was a celebrity. And then the trial starts. And it starts off with a little bit of controversy because the district attorney who tried John is now the same dude trying Lorena. So they kind of wanted him to kind of recuse himself. A little conflict of interest, but he didn't. He refused. Now, the defense pleads not guilty by way of temporary insanity due to irresistible impulse. But they would have to prove basically a long line and a long period of abuse really hard to prove um, and she's facing like 20 years this is important they offered her a plea deal of only 4 months in jail so 20 years or 4 months but she would have to plead guilty and admit it was premeditated and here's where I actually start believing her and respecting her because she said I can't if I submit to that felony I can never be an American citizen Think about how strong that statement is. All you America bashers who think you have it so horrible here. She's been in this country for six years, been allegedly raped and abused by her husband. She's on trial for cutting off his dick. She's facing being convicted of a crime and giving up 20 years of her life and freedom while being locked in a cage. She could exchange all this for four short months. Instead, she says, I'll risk 20 years in prison because I want to be in a fucking American. If you don't love your country like that, you're a piece of shit, man. I'm sorry. I respect her so hard for that. Understand that your quality of life in retrospect to the rest of the world, your wealth gap to billionaires here is much closer than the gap you share with almost the entire planet. Did you know that? From your wealth to theirs? 
You are the top 1% of the world. Pay your fair share to the rest of the world or you don't really believe what you say. You just want more for you. You're the selfish one. Now, unless you believe spreading yours to poor of the world, right? That's the only way you can claim that argument. Are you willing to give yours away? And if you don't believe in spreading it to the rest of the world, then guess what that makes you? That's right. It makes you a nationalist. What? A nationalist? Yeah, you care more only about your nation because you're not willing to give your money away. You want it to stay in your nation. So you're a nationalist. And if you're also pushing socialist ideas, then what does that make you? That's right. It makes you a national socialist. What? Wouldn't that make you a Nazi? Weren't they the National Socialist Party? Wouldn't that what Nazis were? You know that thing that you like to call everyone who has a opposing view than you? And anyone listening uh, is willing to come on this podcast to prove me wrong on that statement. I would love that debate. I will show you 50 examples of why you're a fascist authoritarian and you can sit there and call me a Nazi, Nazi Russian troll as your argument. You know, we, could, we could do that. We could play that one out. That'd be a great, I would love that. Hit me up. We got that voice messages. You heard the, uh, you probably heard the advertisement if it's still running. You heard that at the beginning of the show. Hit me a voice message. Come on the show. Uh, argue that point. Fight me. But I digress again. Sorry. Uh, so she's like, no deal. I'll fight it so I can be an American. And I'm going to just cover this real quickly now because I know we're running out of time here. We're at like 50 minutes. Um, John has his family come in and testify you know, that he's this like little perfect husband and she was basically abusing him, that she was aggressive uh, towards him, even got a coworker of hers to say that Lorena told her during locker room talk that uh, if she ever caught John cheating, she would cut his dick off because that would hurt him more than killing him. Now, of course, her statement to police is also brought in about not being satisfied and then the prosecution rests. Now, this is all being televised and being talked about ad nauseum. And it was really divided still. Women on her side, men on his. People had their teams and nothing else mattered. Both extremes came out, like on every issue, drowning out the reasonable, which is what we basically see today in everything. Um, but this time, Lorena gets to show her defense a little more, right? And get deeper into these allegations from the past. She's not just restricted to these five days prior to the dick cut. So they bring her up to testify on her, home, on her own behalf right off the bat. She tells her story and how she came here and how she met John and all the, the escalation of abuse. And then they brought in friends, neighbors, and family who also testified to said abuse that he would hit and choke her. He talked down to her. He was an alcoholic. He never paid for anything. Like, bro, you know. There was no Dutch treat in 1990. Homie even found a ring at the bottom of a pool and gave it to her for her engagement ring. That's just how you the type of dude this guy is, right? Um, they said they would help her cover the bruises and marks from abuse with makeup, um, bruises on her face and body. He couldn't keep a job after the Marines. Uh, so their only income was basically hers. The house got foreclosed on. And her desperation to support them led to her committing some, <clears throat> excuse me, committing some crimes. She shoplifted from Nordstrom and ganked more than $7,000 from her employer. Now, she said she 
you know, she didn't want to steal, but she had to pay the bills and that she was struggling to pay them by herself. She felt obligated. Now, prosecutor, the prosecutor, and this is a woman, um, asked her how clothes from Nordstrom helped her pay her bills. She said she stole them because he didn't like her dresses and he always told her she was ugly. She wanted to be pretty for him. I don't know, man. Excuse me. The story is just all over the place at this point. They trip him up pretty hard when they cross-examine him on the stand uh, because there were a few instances of potential abuse that he kind of contradicted himself on. It, it wasn't good for him. He was stuttering a lot. He he seemed to miss uh, miss say things and then and then go back and change his story a lot. Uh, she came out looking much better in this case. And again, this but uh, it still was going to come down to credibility. But like I said, he's looking worse and she's looking better now. Uh, who do you believe, right? That's what this was still going to come down to. I think there was, my personal opinion, there was definitely a pattern of abuse and forced sex. Uh, I think they're, I think they both hold a little bit of guilt here, though. I think he was a complete piece of shit and most likely abused her um, in some ways, probably emotionally and physically. Uh, I think John liked the domination and feeling of, of being in control. Uh, but I think she probably wasn't 100% innocent either. I mean, she probably was semi-aggressive. She did she did cut off his dick and threw it in the, in the field of a local 7-Eleven. But he's definitely a piece of shit. And nothing he did is justified to hitting a woman or, or raping a woman or abusing a woman like that. Um, and everyone kind of seemed to agree that was taking that was participating in this trial that you know she had had some uh, level of abuse. The problem is they need to prove she was insane at the time of the action, um, that she was impacted, um, so impacted that she couldn't control her impulses at that exact moment. Right? Super hard to prove. Um, they brought in psychologists to testify. Now, the psychologist said John made her get a few abortions over the course of their marriage and that she struggled with this. Said he made her choose basically him or the baby. There was taunting and degrading things being said. According to this therapist, he threatened her by taking away her immigration if they divorced claimed racial undertones on some things, but I kind of struggle with that one a little bit. That might be playing it up just a little bit, you know, just kind of playing it up as much as possible. Um, But more power to her for that. As Charles Barkley always says, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Uh, But this play on race, you know, it did. It brought out the Hispanic community in droves to support her. And the narrative was slowly switching in her favor. Um, it's looking more and more like he was raping and abusing her. And now the issue was being raised about legal self-defense recourse in these intimate relationship type cases. Because at the time, there was like no battered woman's hotline. There was no federal funding for women's shelters. Um, and there was this new mental illness coming to light that was being um I don't know what's the word for diagnosed Um, and it it was called medically diagnosed battered woman syndrome and it was classified very similar to PTSD so this allows the self-defense the self-defense defense defense to be used not only for 
imminent danger, like right now I'm in danger, you know, but also if there was a realistic chance that this abuse would happen again, like he's going to come back, you know, and beat me again and rape me again. It, it's, I mean, I can get down on that. That seems completely logical, right? Like that should definitely be part of the law. Um, so this is what the defense had. Basically, these psychiatrists or the psychologist uh, testify to specifically um, this abuse and disorder and how it affects these women. And I'll be honest, her her accounts of abuse, rape and fear seem super credible to me as she testified. I believed her. I believed everything she was saying at this point. Um, but then she kind of tripped up again on her account of like not remembering how she got the knife, like showing extreme clarity and detail in some parts of the story, but not remembering uh, anything, like nothing about others, right? She said different things on tape to police. Then she said on the stand, the defense psychologist, a woman said her behavior was constant to having uncontrollable impulses and this battered woman syndrome, the prosecution's psychologist, who was a man, said quite the opposite, that she was in control of her, that she was actually in control of this relationship. And when John didn't, you know, hit it good enough and wouldn't finish the job, she felt she had lost some sort of power. Uh, so she took it back. So again, lines drawn pretty hard across genders. But the defense has a little card up their sleeve. And this is a crazy little twist in the story. So this lady who a few days before the dick chop happens goes in and gets her nails done. Now she notices bruises on the nail girl's arms when she rolls her arms up. Um, she thought this lady's name was Lena, though. When the when the receptionist told her the name, she thought she had said Lena. So during the course of this nail job, she says this Lena girl, you know, was shaking and kind of like breathing weird. They get into like this deep personal conversation and the Lena lady claims, you know, she was raped and beaten by her husband. Now, five months later, fast forward, she's watching the news. She says she rarely watched TV. So this like, <clears throat> you know, this, this really, she really wasn't following this, this Bobbitt case. But they do like a little news break and they are talking about the rape trial. The case had just rested and the jury is in deliberation. So she sees Lorena walk across the, the screen and her heart drops. That was the battered girl who did her nails. So she instantly calls the court and talks to the prosecutor who, remember, was also prosecuting John for rape, but also prosecuting Lorena and wouldn't recuse himself at the beginning of this case, right? And she tells him her story. He's like, Miss Keegan. I can't do anything right now because the jury is already in deliberation. The case is over, basically. Like, we can't stop this. Uh, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give you this number, and I want you to call. And he gives her the back number of Blair Howard, her defense lawyer, the personal number to this office. He says to her, you can't help me, but you can help Lorena. Dude, he could have buried her story right there. I give him so much credit. You might lose back-to-back -back cases here. You know, he's like, fuck it. This is like real, you know, we're talking about 
people's real lives here. Like, I don't care if I lose a case back to back. Like, I want the truth. So they do. They, and, and Lorena's in Lorena's trial, they bring her in to testify at the end on behalf of Lorena. And Mr. Ebert, uh, that prosecutor, was like, I got you, girl. And he doesn't even cross-examine her. He's like, I'm just going to let you tell your story. He knew John was a piece of shit. I think he really wanted to convict John, but you know it was a hard conviction, but he didn't really want to convict her. That's why he didn't recuse himself. He wanted to be in control of this court, this case. And uh, then they had their closing arguments. The jury deliberated, and she was found not guilty by way of insanity. By law, she has spent a minimum of 48 days at a mental hospital being evaluated. Right? No big deal. So real quick, let's take a look at what happened to them after this. I'm just going to hit this real, real quick, guys. Sorry. Um, so right afterwards, John, he starts this celeb life, right? Doing radio and talk shows. Then dude drops that porn vid, kids. That's right. Way before we had a, a night in Paris and Kim K, uh, Kim K taking Ray J's dick, we had the John Wayne Bobbin uncut porno, right? They even portrayed Lorena as the woman. Everyone wanted to see that surgically repaired dick. And they thought this was going to be a blockbuster, so much so they gave that shit a real Hollywood screening. That's how big the story was. Then you hear him on Howard Stern, and Howard Stern don't play no games. And Howard Stern's like, uh, listen, you didn't get a million bucks. Then they say they're going to give you a percentage. Howard's like, but in the porno industry, and I don't mean to say this about anyone in your porno, but how do you know how many you sell? John's like, I, I, I don't really know. Howard's like, do you have like an escrow account or something uh, the profits go into? He's like, yeah, 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 I have an escrow account, and it goes into Jack Gordon's account, his new manager. Howard sarcastically's like, oh, oh, it does? Oh, Jack Gordon, Really? Oh, I didn't know it was going in the Jack Gordon's account. You have nothing to worry about. You got Honest Jack on your side. There's no problem here. And it turns out Howard was on to something. He was 100% correct because homie got scammed just like Howard was alluding to. The video apparently was a huge success, but John never saw any real money. He got taken advantage of. He ends up filing Chapter 11 bankruptcy. His lawyers never get paid. The hospital that put his dick back on never got paid. Then old Johnny boy gets some new charges. Domestic abuse on a new woman. Pushing and holding her against the wall. Just couldn't keep his fucking hands off people, right? Got a shitty ass 60 days in jail. That's it. 60 days. And this is still 1994. So this is happening like really quickly. This is a year after this. This is the same year basically. 60 days in jail only. Uh, he quickly after this falls out of the limelight. And he doesn't really have much skill. Homie becomes... A fucking reverend and starts performing weddings then decides it's time to go in and get that penis enlargement because you know that's what's important here he does another movie uh called frank and penis where they actually show the operation him getting this fucking weird ass dick and of course this dumbass operation is a complete disaster his dick is once again mutilated in some form of in my opinion sweet poetic justice and in 1998, John gets hired at the world-famous Bunny Ranch in Las Vegas. He's working the doors, kind of like a sideshow. Dennis said he would go from, like, super nice to straight asshole from drinking. Uh, he keeps getting fired and rehired. 
He gets busted for shoplifting. He's out on parole. He jumps parole. He runs off with a 19-year-old working girl from the ranch. She takes him all the way to Niagara Falls. She gets him an apartment. She's paying for everything. And after a few years of this, she's like, I got enough, bro. I'm going to leave you. And what does is, what is dickhead John do? What he always does. Beats her up like a true piece of shit. Held her over the balcony railing, even threatening to drop her. Tied her up, raped and sodomized her for three days. He was found guilty and spent just a little bit more time in jail because like, fuck it, like just a little bit more time. Like just hasn't been enough yet. Um, you know, he hasn't hurt enough people yet. Um, should be life, right? Or we should just recastrate, dude. Either way, let's just do something like that. Um, he claims all it's all lies. You know, all these women just use him. They're all gold diggers. They did it all for the fame and money. Fuck out of here, guy. Um, 2003, charged again with another battery. Homie goes back to prison. He's basically a lifelong criminal and abuser, right? That's what John is. That's how we're going to leave his story. He's basically a lifelong criminal and abuser. Go suck a dick. Lorena, she does her 45 days in the hospital. She gets released. She then tried to get like a TV deal to sell her story. And of course, these same two leeches come out, that manager and fucking that her quote unquote friend. Um, she signs a contract unknowingly giving 15% to this Jaina Basuti chick, the friend who does absolutely nothing for her at this point, but she'll take 15% of everything you make now. Uh, they And they start pimping her out almost instantly. You know, first class trips to see Oprah and Jenny Jones and Larry King live. They're providing food, clothes, and hotel stays and personal drivers for her. All about money, all about fame, all about clout. Nothing about helping her mentally. Right? Nothing about helping Lorena. Nothing about doing what's right for Lorena. So she eventually gets wise. She fires her friends. A few years later, she started um, she starts going to like shelters, women women's shelters and VA clinics to tell her story and to help people. She went to college. She met this dude, David, who treated her proper. She had a kid. She turns out to be this just great person and like a really good soul. And John turns out, like I said, to be a piece of shit. So the reality is Loretta Bobbitt brought great attention to the domestic violence issue and she really moved the needle for the moment and i'm gonna say right here right now chromatic distortion forgives you for fucking taking that dude's dick and we judge you not guilty and justified and let's be real about it i'm the only judge that matters uh and that's gonna do it we're gonna wrap this episode up now uh appreciate you listening Hope you enjoyed. Please go to the Chromatic Distortion Instagram and Facebook pages to like and follow. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review Chromatic Distortion on your favorite listening app. Like always, the world is full of good people. If you can't find one, be one. I'll catch you on the flip side. You have just witnessed the lyrical stylistics of Chromatic Distortion.